Hello and welcome to the Hope Midtown Podcast. We are so glad that you could tune in. You are about to listen to our latest sermon from this past Sunday. We hope that you are blessed and this word ministers to you. For more information, visit our Instagram page at Hope Midtown. That is H-O-P-E-M-I-D-T-O-W-N, Hope Midtown. Now, here's our latest sermon. Hey, we've actually been in this sermon series called On Mission, and one of the things that we've been exploring is what is the mission? What do Christians believe about what our mission or our purpose is in life? And uh, if you're not a Christian here, you've probably even wrestled with that question before, maybe this idea of purpose and meaning, like what in the world are we here for? And we've been exploring these different themes, and uh, last week we talked about how really the theme for every Christian, and again, if you're not a Christian here, welcome, so glad you made it. And we hope that whatever kind of we have to talk about today, you get this clue into what Christians believe about purpose and meaning and all those kinds of things. Because one of the things that we talked about last week was this idea that mission really comes and it's shaped by Jesus, this person Jesus that we follow. So often the message and the story and the meaning of Jesus gets co-opted by all sorts of other things, whether it's politics or governments or whatever it might be, that somehow we miss this beautiful, compelling person of Jesus. And, uh, and really, as we continue on, and what does it look like for us to look like Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to, to um, behave the way Jesus wants us to behave, what does it look like? And we're going to be exploring this idea of the rhythms of mission. And so can I hear you say rhythm? That's right. What do the rhythms of mission look like? Now, here's the thing. When we talked about mission, here's what we introduced a couple weeks ago about here are basically the call of every Christian and every person that follows Jesus. This is really the call. It's basically these two things. The mission basically is to make disciples. That's what it talks about in Matthew chapter 28, that we are people who are making disciples, again, pointing people to the person of Jesus, and also that we're people who create and shape. In the book of Genesis, it invites Adam and Eve, this mandate is given to them to create and shape in the world around them. In other words, what we do with our vocation and our work is that we are people who are creating and shaping in the world. So there's this element that what we do with our hands, in other words, what we do with our vocations, as well as what we do when it comes to our relationships, that all of it matters. And of course, all of this is to be bathed in a love relationship with God and with other people. And in all these ways, we're pointing people to Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about this idea of mission, I know that New Yorkers are very much like, yes, tell me what the mission is because I'm ready to crush this mission. Uh, I mean, most New Yorkers, we, we kind of know what it means to be up and to the right. I mean, that's why we came to this town, because we believe that fundamentally we're better than everyone else, and we can make it because we work harder, we're smarter, and if not, we're still going to work harder, and we are going to get smarter and all that other stuff. I mean, that's what New Yorkers believe. I'll, I'll never forget this one time a friend, um, he, he and I were on the subway, and we were going on the train, and we stepped on, and it was a time when there was, there was plenty of seats open everywhere. And so there's plenty of seats, so I go immediately to go sit down in one of the seats. And uh, I, I noticed he, he just, he stood there. He wasn't holding on to anything. He wasn't holding on to any of the bars. And he, he was just kind of standing in the middle of the, the train. And I'm like, uh, are you going to sit down? Like, there's tons of seats left. He goes, he goes no, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I'm just going to stand and I'm, I'm just going to practice balancing you know, on the train and not holding on to anything. So that when it stops and starts, like, I'm, I'm working on my center of gravity. And I was like, all right, I'll stand too. You know, like, like <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I, you know, the way I approach life is that every single part of life is this, is this opportunity for me to grow and be challenged and, and to, to get better at something, you know? I was like, all right, 
I'll stand too and get better at this as well, you know? And, uh, but I mean, it was so typical New York, right? Like it was so like, yeah, we need to consistently be getting better and being challenged and going up and to the right. Cause that's the story that we've often been told is that we're supposed to constantly produce. And so a series like this, when we talk about being on mission, it's, it's like, oh yeah, tell me what I need to do and let's crush this. Let's do this, right? Because that's a very New York mentality. Well, what if I told you that there was actually a rhythm though, a rhythm that God invites us to that's very opposed to that same kind of up and to the right mentality, not because we're not for up and to the right, but instead, but actually that there's supposed to be this rhythm that's embedded in the ways that God has uh, designed a life to be. And we actually find this in the book of Genesis. So in the passage that we read earlier, here's what it says. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was morning and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Can I hear you say rested? He rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, here's basically what happens. God has created the entire world with just a breath. He creates the entire universe and everything in it. And it begs the question, though, because kind of this poetic imagery of the creation account. God creates the universe and everything in it, and it crescendos in this moment where on day six, God creates the crown of his creation, men and women, Adam and Eve. He creates them, and then, this is what it says, after he creates everything, he goes into day seven, and on day seven, what does he do? He rests. And one of the questions is like, why does God need to rest? God is actually, isn't he omnipotent? Isn't he omnipresent? Isn't he omniscient? Isn't he the God who neither slumbers nor sleeps like the psalmist tells us? Then why in the world is he resting? And yet here, what we have is embedded in the creation account even, is this rhythm of mission or work and rest. And it it has this rhythm every week, this cadence to it of working and resting and resting and working of working and resting, even God himself would actually mimic this. Now, here's the thing. Um, years later, the people of Israel would actually be in captivity. The people of Israel were the people chosen by God, and the people of Israel would actually be in captivity for more than 400 years. So if you can imagine, they're enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And so, because they've been enslaved for 400 years, here's the story of what God does. God actually frees his people from captivity, from the, being oppressed by the Egyptians and uh, being under kind of their rule and, their, and being enslaved. He frees them and he sets them out on this journey to the promised land. Now, here's what's so interesting, is that when he's set out, when, there's, when the people of God, after years, can you imagine the psyche that's been developed within them? Like, for four, more than 400 years, they've developed this mentality that we are slaves, we are slaves. We are slaves. Generations pass, and this mentality that we are enslaved, that we need to work, we need to produce, all of this has been embedded within them. And then they're now chosen, to, liberated to go into the promised land. But as they're on the journey of the promised land, God actually gives them these different commandments. He gives them what's called the Ten Commandments. Now, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that, that the word Ten Commandments, you probably have heard that phrase before, but these commandments are given along with a whole list of other ways, and these commandments are basically supposed to be markers to the people. And the markers are basically this. Hey, listen, you've been living a certain way in the ancient world, but I'm giving you a set of commandments, a way to live that's to set you apart from the people and the cultures that you've been embedded in. So here I am, I'm giving you these commandments. 
Now, here's the thing. In these Ten Commandments, you don't even have to be religious. You probably have heard of some of them. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. All of this stuff that's basically embedded in the Ten Commandments, some of us are like, yeah, intuitively, that makes sense. Why that commandment is there? Why that, that commandment's there? You shall have no other gods before me, right? So it's like, okay, I get this. Now, in it, there's also this other commandment. Commandment number four. Check out what it says. Commandment number four. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's crazy. Commandment number four of the Ten Commandments. There's a commandment right up there with thou shalt not commit murder. Is basically, you need to rest. In fact, every seventh day, what you're supposed to do is take this 24-hour period, and you're to stop what you're doing from work, and you are to rest. Now, like, I think it begs the question, like, really, God? Like, why is that up there? Right, right up there with bearing false witness? Right up there with, like, like adultery? is you need to take a Sabbath and not rest? What in the world is happening? Now, why in the world would that be one of the commandments? Notice, notice what it says. Right after this commandment is given, he gives the reason. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you see what God is doing? He's basically saying this. He's saying, the reason why this is a commandment is because you were enslaved for 400 years. You lived with this mentality that you are what you produce, that your own self-worth, your own self-preservation, that everything hinges on how well you do, how much you can produce, how much you can collect, how enslaved you are. And for generations, you've grown up in this mentality that it's all about what you do and produce. But I want you to know this. Now that you've been liberated, now that I'm teaching a new way of my people of living, here's what I want to do. I want to command this in you. And the reason why I'm giving it as a commandment, because you've got centuries of this enslaved mentality in you. I'm commanding you that you are to take a Sabbath, to stop, to rest, delight, and contemplate. Why? Because Sabbath is for free people. You've been enslaved for centuries. You've bought into the myth that somehow you are what you do by how much you produce, by how up and to the right things go. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite you into a different kind of mentality, a mentality by which you're finally free. And every week, you actually get this gift to remember that you are a free people. You are a liberated people. And because of that, take the day off. I mean, don't you love this? Uh, like, don't you see? Because most of us, whenever we think of Sabbath, it's like, oh, do I have to keep Sabbath? Is that a religious commandment? Like, God is basically saying, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not that you have to take Sabbath. You get to take Sabbath. For the first time, here's what I want you to do. I want to remind you that you are not what you do or what you produce that you're not defined by how up and to the right your LinkedIn profile looks, but instead you are a liberated people. And for that, you are a free people. 
And that's what distinguishes my people from all the other cultures around you, is that you are people who are not defined by your work. Now, here's the thing. In a city like New York, I think that most of us, we often abide by this same kind of enslaved mentality, that work means so much. In fact, what we produce matters a whole lot. In fact, that's often the first question that we ask of other people. Oh, so what do you do? And immediately, right, maybe we might ask where they went to college. We want to ask what their backgrounds are because we want to get this sense. We want to somehow categorize people in terms of where they slot, in terms of how upwardly mobile they might be. I mean, that's so the culture, especially in Manhattan. And here, what God is basically saying is like, listen, that culture that, that embeds this enslaved mentality that you are defined by what you do, I want to free you from that. In fact, I want to abolish that. I want you to actually live a life of liberation, of freedom. And you get it by taking this day to Sabbath. Isn't that a gift? It's a gift. It's not something we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Now, here's the thing. I personally grew up with this enslaved mentality. And I say that coming as an immigrant to this country, my immigrant parents who came from a war-torn country. So they came to the States to find a better life. And so my father would often tell me like, you know, I came here with $80 in my pocket. You better make it, right? Like it was basically like there is no going back to where we came from. Like you are plan A, plan B, plan C. Like your achievement means everything, right? And so if any like poor grade I got, like a B plus, <laughs> you know, it was like, hey, listen, I came here with $80 in my pocket, right? Like it was like this, you know, and, and so as a result, I'm just telling you like in me, like it's in my DNA to be a workaholic. Like I just, it's in me. My father, like he switched careers at the age of 40, 35 years later, he's 75 years old. He's written 37 books. And so my dad is constantly like, why haven't you written a book yet? I'm like, dad, just take it easy. Take it e-. Like, why aren't you doing this yet? Why are you like, and I'm like, dad, just, just relax. You're 75 now. Just relax. You know, like, we're, we're okay. We're going to make, we're, we're okay here, you know? But yet, like, my, it's just in me. It's in my, my family's DNA. My mom, she worked the graveyard shift. And she did this tirelessly. The first vacation I ever recall, like, we ever went on. I remember, like, Tina, when we got married, she's like, let's go on vacation. I'm like, what, vaca- what do you mean? Like, you mean, like, we can go to dinner in Brooklyn sometime? Like, that? Is that vacation? She's like, no! We got to get out of the city! We got to do something. And, and then she, she learned that my family, like, growing up, we just didn't go on vacations because so much of life was about work and achievement. And so the first vacation that we went on when I was in middle school, I remember we went to an orphanage in Mexico. So my view of even vacation was that it was supposed to be work, you know? And so you can imagine this mentality is in me, like, and I need something as strong as like a commandment from the living God to basically say, no, 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 you drew, you're not, you're not defined by what you do or what you produce. So Honest confession here, I am a workaholic. And so I, I just will throw myself into my work. That's the, like, it's so easy for me to do that. Uh, I went through a season of burnout when I was 25 years old. Remember, when I, after, you know, I was 25 years old, and then I, was, I started to meet with a counselor, and I was telling her, like, I'm just really exhausted and tired, and I have very little motivation for things. And uh, my counselor was like, I, th- I think you're burnt out. And I was like, can you be burnt out at the age of 25? <laughs> You know? And he's like, yeah. 
And I, I, and I just realized, like, looking at my family history, it's because it's been so much go, 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 produce, produce, produce. So you can imagine how startling this is to receive this commandment. But, you know, this is how, this is what I do. I'm like, I, I explain this way. I'm like, oh, it's in the commandment, but it's in the Old Testament. Like, it's not really that important. And sure, it's in the Ten Commandments, but come on, like, murder, adult, those are, like, way more important. And yeah, it's in the Ten Commandments, but, like, it's so Old Testament. Um, like, we're, we've been freed from the bondage of that stuff. Now we're free to live a life of workaholism. <laughs> and, and there's this way that I just kind of tell myself, like, I, 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 I can convince myself that being a workaholic is basically okay. And yet, here's the thing. God has given us this gift. And he's given us this gift to basically say, listen, Sabbath is for free people. Who is the crazy one? Who's the crazy one? Is the crazy one the person that says, no, 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 that is so Old Testament. I'm free to be a workaholic. Or is it the person who basically says, no, I actually have been given this gift because I'm a liberated person and I'm not defined by what I do or what I produce. But instead, I'm free from all those encumbrances enough that I can take a Sabbath. Now, here's basically what a biblical Sabbath looks like. There's these four different elements. The first element is to stop. The second is to rest. The third is to delight. And the fourth is to contemplate. A biblical Sabbath actually involves all of these different things. So for me and my family, we basically take a Sabbath every Friday night to Saturday night. Now, sometimes that floats around because of church events and things like that. But for the most part, every Sabbath, every week, we've got this Sabbath rhythm. Now, here's the thing. This past week was really, really full for me. Just had a lot of things going on, and it culminated in the worship night that we had on Friday night. Um, and, and so I, I could not wait for Sabbath. I was like, I cannot wait to go into Sabbath. Because I knew that Sabbath was going to be where I could stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. It's a day where I cease doing work. It's a day that I can rest and replenish. So I often take naps, copious amounts of naps. So I took about three naps yesterday. Uh, I can delight. It's a day when our kids... Um, every Sabbath, they know. Um, so we went and got ice cream yesterday uh, on top of the dessert they were having for dinner. So like, it was like, they know, listen, whether or not they keep this practice into their adulthood, they're going to associate Sabbath with sweet stuff, okay? That's just how we're going to roll, you know, you know what I'm saying? Because Sabbath is supposed to be a day of delight. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Sabbath um, is basically a, a precursor to what heaven is going to be like. It, like this eternal rest that all of us look for. And so can you imagine basically what God is doing when he gives this commandment of Sabbath? What he's basically saying is, if you, if you take the time to Sabbath each week, what I want to do is I want to give you just a little, like a, a morsel of what heaven is going to be like. Isn't that a beautiful image? Like every week you get this image, you get to delight in a manner where you get to enjoy, enjoy all the good stuff of God, including ice cream for our kids. And so Sabbath is this day where we stop, we rest, we delight. We con- it's, it's a glimpse of what heaven is like. And it's a day that we contemplate. When we talk about contemplating, it's different than you know, other spiritual practices that might be out there in competing faiths. It, for us, the contemplation, it's a Sabbath unto the Lord. And so as a result, we get to ponder the things of God. We get to be grateful for who God is and what he's done in our lives. So I can tell you, even though last week was an incredibly full week, this upcoming week is an incredibly full week, I can already tell you I cannot wait until Sabbath, which again will be Saturday for next week as well as it was yesterday for us. And the reason why I can't wait is because I I just know every week I've got this day to recharge got this day to stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate. So people will often, they'll, they'll message me and be like, oh, are you free to meet up on Saturdays? 
And uh, I'll say, no, I'm busy. Busy taking three naps, you know, right? Like, I mean, that's what I'm doing. And um, because I know that I've been given this gift to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Now, I don't say this to you as someone who's like, oh, man, Drew, he's so holy in the way that he keeps these out. I say this as like a recovering workaholic who just knows that my tendency is to define myself by what I do. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, when it comes to the rhythms by which we live, we often live with this kind of rhythm, right? We work for an extended period of time, then we work some more, then we work some, and then it's like March, and then we're like, I can't wait for vacation. Vacation's in July, though. And we're just like, ah, just let me gut it out a little bit more. And so what we do to rest is while we're doing our work, we'll have another laptop open and we'll just be perusing like flights and when we, we can get out of town and we can go on our next trip. And so we're living for every vacation. Have you ever done this before, right? Where you're working so hard and then you're just like, I can't wait for that vacation in July. I'm gonna go to Portland, Oregon because Portland's awesome, you know, and it's got good food and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know why I came up with Portland. But anyhow, uh, you know, gonna go there because there's good food there. And so, you know, we, what we do is we plan out meticulously how, when we're going to get to go there. Then finally we're there. We're there. For, but like it takes us some time to adjust. We don't sleep very well. We didn't finish any work that we had to finish. So we take our laptops with us. And so here we are on this vacation. And we're still a little bit agitated. We're up really early in the morning because it's a, it's a West Coast trip. And uh, oh, I'll just send a few emails here and there. And, and we're, we're caught up in that cycle again. Finally, after day four or five, we finally have our rhythms kind of matched up a little bit. We finally feel enough kind of like, okay, I'm getting used to it. But then we realize we've got a 6 a.m. flight back to New York City. Or we do a red eye because we're young and energetic. And we think, of course, I have the energy to drop off a red, off and go, red, red eye and go straight to work. And, and so what do we end up doing, right? Like after that day, when we've pounded through the red eye flight, we've pounded through basically the work day, we're like, oh, my goodness, I need another vacation. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know that rhythm that I'm talking about. This is what we do. And for me, so much of this is, is, is bent on, like, I need to work. I need to achieve. And so as a result, I often don't respect my own limits and the gift of Sabbath. Instead, I'm caught in this endless cycle of productivity. You know, Jerry Scazzaro, who's a mentor of mine, she basically has this phrase where she said, Sabbath keeping is the most practical outworking of whether or not you believe the gospel. Why? Because you can take a day to do nothing, take three naps, and enjoy all that God has for you, achieve nothing, and God is still pleased and he loves you. You see, because that's, that's the uniqueness of the Christian faith, isn't it? See, most religious systems are all based on that kind of mentality where you work and then you achieve your vacations. You achieve your rest. I mean, isn't that the way that this, this works, right? We, we work and we attain somehow. And yet here's the Christian message. The Christian message is like, no, no, no. Despite how you don't measure up, despite what you don't achieve, God's love and his grace for you is free. It's real. It's available. It's here. And he loves you. So go take a Sabbath. For 24 hours, go stop, go rest, go delight, go contemplate, and do it without a guilty conscience. Now, I'm telling you, this has been such a difficult practice for me to actually live out. Uh, personally, I, um, yesterday, just for an example, yesterday, like I mentioned, took three naps, 
And to tell you the truth, actually our first service here, some of you that were here and that were volunteering, Daniel knows, our first service was a little bit challenging because our tech wasn't working. We actually didn't have our slides up. So we reformatted the whole service, started late at like 10, whatever. And uh, you know, it was funny because here I am preaching on Sabbath and I was like, you know what, this is actually a product like everything kind of not working out that well. It's actually a product of, um, of me being on my Sabbath, of taking three naps yesterday, you know? And I was just like, ah, because, you know, because Justice and I were on the phone l- later at night, and I was just like, you know. But everything fell apart this morning. Or it, not everything fell apart. It was just like, whatever. It, it happened. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. But guess what? God still loves me. God still loves us. God's still on the throne. Like, the church could fall apart. And you know what? God still loves me. <laughs> you know? Because that's what Sabbath does. It, gets, it gives us this reminder, like all the things that we stress out over. Like, I remember when I started keeping Sabbath, I'm like, oh no, but what if someone calls? What if someone calls on my Sabbath? What's going to happen, right? So I turned off my phone for 24 hours. Right? And then immediately, like, I, like, I, like when Sabbath ended, I picked up my phone, I turned it on, and I was like, oh my goodness, who called? I had three voicemails, and I looked him up, and it was all my mom calling me. You know? I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and not to say that my mom's not important, guys. Sorry. Just, I just want you to know. It was just one of those, like, wow. The thing, I, like, there's this view that I have of being so self-important. And yet, like, why is it that I can't just unplug and receive this gift of Sabbath? You know what's interesting about the rhythm that we just talked about of Genesis chapter 1? You know, in this passage, remember how God creates a crown of his creation, men and women. And then all of a sudden, like, that's on the sixth day. Then he goes into Sabbath. And one of the things that I, I, I was thinking was, like, why in the world does God do that? If I were God, and honestly, like, I created men and women... Um, like my like my shiny new toy, right? Like I've got like I've got this shiny new. There's this utilitarian kind of thing in me, and again, it might come from just that immigrant background, but it's like I, I can't like if I just created men and women, let, like let's put them to work. We need some sort of return on this investment here, right? Like come on, let's put let's put this to work. And so th- that's my view is kind of like oh like why, why God why did you you create Adam and Eve? But notice what happens. Right after God creates Adam and Eve, he sends them straight into Sabbath. And like uh, everything in me is kind of like, God, you know, like you, I, I, I think your ROI there is not like you need to, you should have put them to work. But isn't it beautiful? He creates men and women. And he sends them straight to rest. Why? It's because he shows us that mission and work for the Christian, it happens from rest, not for rest. Again, remember how I told you how most religious systems, and frankly, the ethos and the culture of our day, so much of it is that you work for your rest. You achieve so that finally you can rest and chill. But do you see how different the Christian ethos is? That we don't work for our rest, but instead we work 
from our rest. That we are a people who, who first we receive God's beauty and goodness and grace and love before anything else. He creates Adam and Eve and he sends them straight into Sabbath. And out of the Sabbath, he says, now go and create and shape. Go and make disciples. But every week, you're going to get a taste of heaven. Every week, you're going to get this rhythm, this gift, where you can be reminded of the gospel, the good news, that you are not what you produce, but you are a son and a daughter who is dearly loved and enjoyed and celebrated, both today and every day. And I command you to stop, to be reminded that you're more loved, more deeply cared for, than you ever thought you were. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. You know, I, I mentioned the book of Hebrews. It talks about this kind of this texture of soul rest, like an eternal Sabbath that God is inviting us into. And the eternal Sabbath is this, uh, you know, St. Augustine has this phrase where he says, my heart is restless until it rests in thee. You know, and I take it that some of you, you've moved to this city, and maybe the reason why you moved to this city or maybe the reason why you've been in this race in the city is because you are caught up in the same race as everyone else. And this is not to say that achievement is bad or that ambition is bad, because honestly, it's good. But when it becomes the, the thing that drives us, when it becomes that thing that continues to create this restlessness within our souls, and the reality is, whether you're someone of faith or you're not, I think all of us are looking for that rest, aren't we? That sense that we are lovable, we're good enough, and we can just be celebrated. And what if today, what if today um, God wants to invite you to that kind of soul rest that all of us have always longed for? The kind of rest that doesn't have a chip on the shoulder, that's not out to prove how good we are or how much we can succeed, but that rest that really comes from knowing a loving father whose love for us is real. Uh, Steph Curry uh, was one of my favorite basketball players. Um, one of the things that he says is, he says, I have nothing to prove, but I have much to accomplish nothing to prove but I have much to accomplish I love that I love it because it's this invitation of like yeah isn't that isn't that the gospel story I've got nothing to prove but I've got much to accomplish that it, I, I work from rest not for rest and really that's the invitation for you that's the invitation for me that today we might find rest in the one who's loved us from the start Father I just pray for each person here God, I pray that you would grant us the courage to stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate, that we would see Sabbath-keeping as a gift, not as a curse, and that together that we as a, a community could really seek your heart for our lives, that the rhythms of our mission would be baked and soaked in your love that tells us that we are not defined by what we do or what we achieve, but we're defined by how much you love us and how full and free that love is. 
So we sing to you, God. May we know your love in a deep and meaningful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.